the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time sports, and live commentary than The Athletic. Download the app, personalize it with your favorite teams and leagues, and get a great new front page of all your favorite articles every single morning. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track for 40% off your first year subscription today. We are also sponsored by Balanced Bridge Funding, providing cost-friendly, effective financial advising to you and your clients. Borrow wisely and cost-effectively, avoid those fees, and if you pay it back early, there's no penalty to you. Whether your client is under contract and needs a bridge against earnings, a free agent looking to invest, or looking to borrow money for any other reason, let Balanced Bridge take a look, provide a solution, and be a resource for you and your client today. Visit balancedbridge.com. My name is Mike Giannetti. Happy Monday morning. What a wonky week. That was a, a weird sports week. Good baseball, good college football, great college football for the evenings. Uh, but the NFL was kind of a hot mess. If you did any kind of DFS work this week, I assume you didn't do well. <laughs> this was a good week for Vegas to replenish their funds, I think. But uh, we're going to have them. Longer seasons, injuries are starting to become it, you know, kick in and become a force on a lot of these rosters. We're going to talk rosters today. We're going to talk NFL numbers kind of at the fake midway point. But not, you know, not the normal stuff. I'm not going to tell you about QBR and average yards per carry and all that stuff. That stuff's out there. And I like to tweet it every now and then. But finances, of course. Spending from the offseason versus wins right now. The highest average player on every team. The oldest teams versus the youngest teams. Teams with the most dead cap versus the last dead cap. All this stuff. I've got five or six, maybe even seven metrics to look at here versus standings. And obviously, there's some adjudication with that. Injuries, things like that just wonky weeks, right? Is, is this just a throwaway week? Possibly. But I'm going to dive in pretty deep on top 10, bottom 10s for a lot of these metrics and where those teams are now. And then I've got some kind of tangents with the Cowboys a little bit, the Browns a little bit, certainly Baltimore, just some teams that are maybe running their own path. And I like it. And this is a positive show, by the way. I'm not here to crap on any team. I'm really not. For two reasons. A, I'm in a good mood. And B... It's early. And please keep that in mind. Please keep that in mind because it's only week eight. And yeah, that was a terrible week for a lot of reasons, but there's a lot of football left. It's just November. We got plenty of football in front of us. So if your team had a miserable week, Cincinnati, you're going to be okay. There's a lot of good out there still. And we're going to look at probably some teams that you should be betting on right now in the middle of the pack. It works. All right, let's talk some football. All right, I want to start off here with a little numbers game. It is technically, but not technically, halfway the halfway point of the NFL season. It's uh, kind of annoying that now with 17 games, the midpoint is eight and a half weeks, which is impossible. So we're just going to play it after eight and assume that most of these numbers are going to carry through for the next week or so. It's also very early, and I, I don't think that's being said enough. Obviously, we're a week-to-week sports world and everything has to be under a microscope, which I understand. And I'm doing a bit of that here, but man, there's a lot of football left, a lot of football left. So many teams are going to get healthy. So many teams are going to have season ending injuries that are going to tank their season. There's so much to be unfolded here, but with that, (laughs) I'm going to dive into where we are in the standings versus how these teams got here or how these teams are developed financially 
And then I'm going to have a little bit of a uh, spinoff with one position specifically. I think you might know what that is going to be, but I'll bury the, I won't bury the lead yet on that. Okay. First, just straight cap because more, more than anything this year, teams had to get creative, uh, maybe even learn some things about how they can maneuver, manipulate, you know, gymnastics themselves a little bit. Players took notice. Agents took notice. I don't think we're ever going to be the same ever again. I mean that sincerely. I think that the, the loopholes and the hoops the teams had to jump through to get to, them, to themselves where they are today and over the way successfully has all been now written down and taken note of. And when you're a player looking to stay with your current team and that team says, all right, but you got to take a discount to stay. Nope. No way. Push it down the line. <laughs> Give me the signing bonus I deserve. Guarantee the two or three years that I deserve. And you you handle your cap as you need to later in the game. Everybody proved that they had to do it today. Now, look, there's going to be a push down that, hey, you know, this is going to hurt us in three years. And if you're looking to continue to grow this franchise properly and build 53 men around you, then this is... Nope. I think what we proved this year is that, and we knew it, but now teams know it and agents know it and all the little games that teams are playing with, this is how we do business and we can't get off our structure, which I appreciate. I'm a man of repetition myself, but they're gone. Tampa Bay folded. Pittsburgh folded. The 49ers folded to some degree. Seattle certainly folded. Okay. And they're going to fold again next year when they're trying to re-sign Russell Wilson on with two years left in his contract. It's a, uh, I think all hands on deck from a cap perspective. So let's, let's look at it a little bit because to me still the, the number that I look at throughout the year, certainly during the off season, but now throughout the year is, is dead cap similar to how I look at injured reserve in a lot of the sports. Um, Dead cap is a reflection of two things, A, mistakes, or B, transition. And a lot of times that's both. But teams that accumulate a massive amount of dead cap have either cut a very veteran expensive player, or, or a few of them, or something happened, they understood their window, and they said, it's time to cut bait with a half a dozen players and take this on in a lump sum, which I think the Eagles have done, certainly the Lions have done to some degree, and the Panthers have been forced into based on retirements, bad quarterback play, all that. So those are your top three teams right there. But it's the fourth and fifth teams that are most interesting to me because it's the Saints and the Rams. The Rams cut bait on veterans, a quarterback, a, run, a running back, a wide receiver, a line, you know, an edge rusher. That's what that dead cap represents. Tradeaways, to be quite honest. The Saints kind of reference, you know, my opener there, which is they had carnage this offseason. They were constant restructuring, which led to the point of, oh, the league just dumped 15 million cap on us. Now we got to move on. Now we got to move on, whether it's quick trades for late picks just to get this cap off our books, whether it's outright releases, even, you know, up leading up to week one with, with Latavius Murray. It was about every single week they had to basically start over and say, where are we financially now? Which players do we want to keep? We had four or five miles to feed from an extension standpoint. They did about half of them. It's uh, it's so fluid in New Orleans. And oh, by the way, <laughs> they're five and two. Jameis might be out for the year. Couldn't be a more interesting team in football right now than New Orleans Saints because they're, they're this chaotic mess financially. 
you know, and they don't think that internally. They've been doing this for a lot of years. But from the outside looking in, that's certainly what, what it looks like. And they're winning. And they don't have a real good quarterback. And they never had a real good quarterback. So this is all going to be kind of redone next offseason. Because I don't think they're going to have a, a firm plan at quarterback come March, come April. It's fascinating. So there's your top five. Eagles, Lions, Panthers, Saints, Rams. Okay? If I just tell you the top 10 dead cap teams... They're averaging right now about a 438 win percentage. So under 500, kind of handily under 500. The majority of these teams are well under. There's only two teams, Saints and Rams, that are kind of holding up the fort here. Everybody else is exactly where you think they'd be. The Lions being, you know, the breadwinners at dead zero, of course. But it's a real thing. And when guys like Andrew Brandt get on Twitter and say, nobody's going to take a $35 million dead cap hit, and then, you know, the Eagles do 33 and change and the Lions do 20 and change and the Rams do 20 and change to move on from quarterbacks. You know, and the Panthers put 50 million into basically half of their roster in dead cap. It's a new era for that. And this brings me back, cycles back to that conversation about how cap is so fluid. You can do this. You can load up on 40 million plus a dead cap, which is what? 20% of the league cap a little more this year, right? 22, 25% of the league cap. You can do that. Fix some player contracts over here and basically even it out, make it a wash in any given season. Now there's going to be a breaking point. You know, the, the, the Packers are going to have a lot of trouble rebuilding on the fly next year with Aaron Rodgers dead cap to leave via trade. And by the way, that's non-negotiable. That's dead cap. That's been restructured. It's bonus, but it's been paid. They're going to take it on. You know, they're going to have trouble taking that on and rebuilding on the fly, similar to what Philadelphia is going through, you know, and, and the Jalen hurts Jordan love scenario is going to be very similar. I think the Eagles today are going to look a lot like the Packers tomorrow in that regard. And that's because of the finances. A lot of that stems back to this metric specifically, when the GM sits down and says, how much do I have to work with? What's my, you know, even if I restructure here, if we cut here, if we get a, get a pay cut out of this guy here, even if we have this little balance over here, this, this dead cap number is fixed. It's not moving. And you can budget for it in certain windows, but at some point it's going to break you. And there are certain teams, Carolina being one of them, that I find on this list all the time, <laughs> all the time. They're constantly in motion. And, and I have to be honest, I think this current owner is not going to fix that. He seems to be restless and antsy to the point of where every year there may be, it's very college football, right? If it ain't working this year, let's just rip it up and start over for next year. I'm not sure that's a winning formula in the NFL. I think it takes time and I think it takes a different philosophy. Whereas you have to back into your roster a little bit. There are some boring transactional things that have to happen on the, in those defensive and offensive lines with your special teams, really underrated things that secure stability on your roster before you can make the splashy move before you can drop a, a, a big time wide receiver or, a you know, draft a high, you know, high risky tight end in the top 15. I just think some things have to happen first. And I'm not sure Carolina has been following that method, but this is a, a stat that doesn't lie. You want to look at a number, at any point in time during the season and see where your team is here, it's going to tell you a story. So if we talk about the bottoms, 
All right, I told you the top 10 dead cap teams have a winning percentage of 430 right now. The top, the bottom 10, and that's a big number. You know, I could have gone top five, bottom five, and it would have been bigger ranges here. But I wanted to give a, a, a bigger sample size to understand. Because look, we're talking about the Colts at the bottom of this list with $3.2 million of dead cap versus the Eagles at 60. That's the difference in the league right now. Top 10 dead cap, 430 winning percentage. Bottom 10, 618. Okay, Arizona's way up there. Green Bay, Buffalo, Tampa Bay. Big time teams here sitting at the bottom. Teams that didn't either didn't make splashy releases or trades or their, their rosters are so stable that the movement was so limited that there just wasn't anything to add up to. I mean, we're talking, we have three, six, we have eight teams this year right now currently and that's with all the moves that's with all the the practice squads and all the movement throughout the first eight weeks of the season we have eight teams in this league right now that still have less than 10 million of dead cap allocated to their cap that's outstanding you know and the fact that those teams are also winning it means there's a very there's a very high level of comfort between what's happening on the football field and what's happening in the front office so those are teams that could take on a trade in the next couple of days. Those are the teams who could win, you know, have success this year and then look right back into the free agent market, the trade market in March and April and make a splash and fill some holes immediately because they're not carrying over a lot of dead weight. In fact, most of those teams have a couple of million of cap space to work with for this trade deadline to roll over to next season. So there, it's, it's an indication not only of what's happening right now, but also what could happen in the very near future. So Whereas Philadelphia is ripping the Band-Aid off at 60 this year and tons of draft assets, we've seen that change a franchise immediately, okay? And that front office in, in Philly, they are explosive. They are creative. At times, they are reckless, and I have to sit on this microphone and crush them, but they're fun as hell. They are extremely fun, and I really think if you're a Philly fan, if you're, a, if you're an NFL fan who kind of follows the NFC East, this is the perfect storm. And, and, and oh, by the way, if Jalen Hurts is at least a two to three year quarterback for you, that, that's icing on the cake. Because now you're taking these draft picks. Now you're taking this dead, you know, this, this cap space, which you're going to have. And I think there's more movement coming, possibly Barnett and Cox off this roster, both with dead cap to sit. But I think there's a chance where you're pulling 100 million plus of cap space three first round, high first round picks. We're talking, I think it's, I think it's two, eight, nine right now. And possibly a, a, an above average starting quarterback into 2022 with you. That's, that's fun. That's a lot of fun. That's armchair GM fun right there. So that's dead cap. Stark difference between having it and not having it in the winning percentage totals right now. Let's flip the age. And this one's a little bit murkier because these rosters are so big that at the end of the day, the chain, the difference between you know one roster's age versus the you know thirty second roster's age is very minimal. In fact, it's Detroit's the youngest team at about t- just over twenty five years old on average. Tampa Bay's the oldest team at twenty seven years, twenty seven point eight years, and obviously that's you know that's heavily weighed towards Brady. But again, you know Brady is not is one player on a fifty five man roster right now, and that's just how that works. So. It's still something to look at, but it's a little bit murkier in terms of how it is. And and so is the range. Would it surprise you if I told you that the older teams are doing markedly better? 
isn't that kind of a theme? It's been a theme, certainly in basketball for a long time, a long, long time. There has been, it's been a very long time since a young rookie filled roster got all the way to the finish line in the NBA. And while that has happened in the NFL, you know, I'm thinking of like a Seahawks team a few years ago, certainly Ben's Pittsburgh teams had a lot of youth on them back in the day. And to some degree, the Chiefs with Mahomes here, that's probably the latest example, although there were quite a few veterans on the defensive side of the ball at that time. But, you know, you're not, here's your bottom three teams. It's Detroit, it's Philly, it's Cleveland, who a lot of people thought had a chance, but are really falling by the wayside. And oh, by the way, on The Athletic today, Mike Sandoz pick six, really smart breakdown on the Browns. I thought it was brilliant. Check that out on your uh, athletic app when you get when you get a chance for sure. Mike Sandoz pick six. Cleveland had a chance to be one of these darling teams that took a lot of young players, for the most part, and and pushed it through to the finish line. There's a lot of reasons that's not happening right now, and that's a 500 football team. Certainly, that can change. It's early, but your bottom three teams are nowhere right now. Washington's fourth youngest, Cincinnati's fifth youngest. So, it's 560 to be old in the top ten. It's 390 to be young and to be the youngest, bottom 10. That's the difference right now. Not as stark as dead cap, but still pretty obvious that experience and age in this league still kind of carry the day. Your, your top three oldest teams are Tampa Bay, Arizona, and Chicago. So I don't know what to tell you. It's kind of been a model that we've been following for a while here, certainly in the NBA and now with the NFL as well. And you can't just have, you know, you can't just live through the draft and think that's going to get you to the finish line of this league. There has to be a balance and the teams that do that the best, the best Baltimore being one of them, I think, you know, the bills have done a really nice job with that mixing in trading versus free agency versus draft picks. The teams that are doing that the best right now, to me, not only have the most success throughout the regular season, but I think have the best chance in the, in the postseason as well. So those are the ones I've been eyeing up since the off season. Who's balanced from an age perspective, from an experience perspective, per, from a, you know, acquisition perspective, how they got on this roster. To me, all that matters. And and I, it does bear out in the numbers the longer the season goes on. All right, total cap spending. Again, a lot of teams pushed cap into 2022-3-4 this offseason. Some didn't. Some weren't able to because their rosters were so jam-packed that restructuring was really going to be more of a problem than a benefit. Here's your top five cap teams. Total cap, all in, dead cap, active cap, the whole works. Dallas, the Jets, the Browns, the Patriots, the Dolphins. Three AFC East teams there. Okay. Obviously, you know where this is headed. Now, Dallas B at the top here is something because they're all invested with some older contracts on the offensive line, certainly a couple of new defensive contracts, and obviously Dak, Dak, Zeke, and Amari are the big contracts on the offensive side of the ball. To me, though, and I've said this quite a bit, I've had some guests on to confirm this, Jerry Jones may be loud and abrasive and crazy at times, but Jerry Jones still knows how to build a football team. You know, 40 years later, the positions that you're supposed to pay really haven't changed. Now, you can say the Zeke Elliott situation was a mess, and the fact that they're taking on the cap hits they are for Zeke over the next couple of years, and they will. He's going to be there for, for at least one more year, possibly two. That was, you know, that's an example of maybe 
old school Jerry getting in the way of, of what needs to be a little bit updated on the spectrum. But for the most part, he's paid he paid his left he put his left tackle on a 10-year contract. He paid defensive linemen when he needed to. He hasn't paid the secondary yet. He will. He certainly will. He knows what he has in digs. He replenished the middle linebacker position through the draft, which to me was so sneaky good. I, I think that to me is a all grown up Jerry Jones move. And he's going to deal with the running back position soon. I know he's, I know he's figured it out. You know, it, it is clear as day that Tony Pollard plus a draft pick is going to be 89 to 92% as productive as Zeke is on 15 million a year. He gets it. He's, you, you can already see the signs that Jerry Jones has figured out that formula as well. But, you know, he played the waiting game on Dak with injuries and maybe some limitations, but he paid him the right contract. You know, after a couple of franchise tags, yeah, he blew some cash on that, but I don't think anybody's crying for Jerry Jones and his cash payroll. But here we are. They're the highest cap team in the league. They're one of the highest cash teams in the league. I believe Buffalo still owns that right now because of their extensions this offseason, but they are worth the price of admission. He's paying big. He's pushing a lot of cap into this year specifically because he knows what else is coming. You know, he may have to give Gallup a contract next year. Probably not. He's got a couple of tight ends he needs to, he needs to upgrade. And he's going to have to rebuild this offensive line at some point in time because there's age and injury concerns. And 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 I, nobody in the league, in my opinion, addresses the offensive line more thoroughly, quicker, and more financially impactfully than Jerry Jones does. So I expect that it to be a very boring offseason in that regard. He's going he's gonna to hit the trenches again. You know, they may move on from Amari Cooper, things like that, to, to, to open up some space for it. But the fact that Dallas is all in from a cap perspective tells me this. He loves this team. He had to pay important positions over the past two, three years, which I just mentioned. And he's he's ready to kind of replenish some things next year. He didn't want to push into next year. He wants to have assets available next year specifically for, you know, maybe a couple of extensions, yes. But also, I expect them to be very, very diligent with rebuilding that offensive line for now three more guaranteed years of Dak Prescott. So that's a telling stat to me that they're at the top of this list. It's Dallas and a bunch of bad teams in terms of total cap spending. Jets, Browns are bad right now. Jets, Browns, Patriots, who are average. Dolphins, 49ers, Lions, Washington football. It's not good. <laughs> okay, it's not good. Top 10 cap spenders, 425. Bottom 10 cap spenders, 613 winning percentage. Not a huge difference, but enough. Enough. And, and your, your lowest cap, cap spending team right now in the NFL is Baltimore. Baltimore. So if you believe in them, <laughs> there's a chance. We saw this in baseball to some degree. There's a chance that the highest cap team, Dallas, could be facing the lowest cap team Baltimore in February. I think that's perfectly within reason right now from a lot of uh, projections, but that's possible. That's where we are in the spectrum. That's how much it cap doesn't matter. And I follow it every day. It's important to me because I want to have cap rosters that are as accurate as possible, but it absolutely doesn't matter to how you build your roster. It is so malleable, so fluid, 
that you can handle it. Now, Baltimore's got the rookie contract on the quarterback. Baltimore's, you know, mishmash in a running back situation together. They haven't paid a wide receiver. I can't even remember the last time they paid a wide receiver legit money. They paid a tight end, good money. But they are, uh, they're not screwing around right now. They are about depth. They are about longevity. They are about, about getting as much as possible out of, out of Lamar's rookie contract. And they're ready, I would assume, to take on a, a huge deal for him next year. Front-loaded. A front-loaded deal for Lamar. That's how I look at this right now. Dallas at the top, Baltimore at the bottom. Two very different situations. But similarly built teams. Similarly built teams. Jerry likes to pay the weapons. Flashy contracts. That's not going to be Baltimore style ever, in my opinion. But the trenches are built well. The secondaries are built well. It's good. And uh, that would be something to keep an eye on for sure as we hit the second half of the season. That the uh, 171 Ravens and the 206 Cowboys are kind of on the same trajectory here. All right, let's flip to something I love to look at a couple times during the year. The highest average paid player at, at every position and what their teams are doing right now, respectively. I got to tell you, teams are starting to figure this out. To me, this is... Look, average salary is, is, it is what it is in the NFL. It's a, it's a good stat to grab a hold on to because it's easy. There's a, you can rank them. You can order them. But it means jack squat. <laughs> okay? It means jack squat to the player. It means jack squat to the team. It's just a thing. There's a contract that has an, uh, you know, a total value and a number of years. And if you divide those things, you get this number. It couldn't mean less to the cap. It couldn't mean less to the cash flow. It couldn't mean less to the stability of that contract, as you know. Just a number. But it's a marketable number. So when I tell you Mahomes is top of the quarterbacks, you, you, that's something tangible we can grab onto. If I tell you Mahomes is like 17th in quarterback cap, Nobody cares, okay? Nobody really cares, except for Chiefs front office and Chiefs fans who are trying to you know, fix this defense right now, and they're wondering why they can't do it while Mahomes' cap hits are low because his cap hits aren't going to be low forever. Anyway, Mahomes and the Chiefs, they're under 500. That could change tonight against the Giants. They could be right at 500 with the highest average paid quarterback in football. Carolina is at 500, even though McCaffrey hasn't been a part of the last couple of weeks, nor will he be for the next two He's an impact player, and we're going to talk running backs again at some point, You know him and Henry and Zeke and Dalvin Cook and what happens to Barkley and all this good stuff because, look, at some point, we got to get there. Aaron Jones, Joe Mixon, they're all making an impact. McCaffrey was making an impact. This was a good team when McCaffrey was healthy. Sam Darnold could be a different kind of quarterback when he had this running back with him. So I, I do think it's been good news for running backs. I really do. And, you know... Carolina's holding on here. We'll see. We'll see if they can at least keep themselves afloat. I think it's going all the way backwards, but I don't think McCaffrey has much to say about that. They were a winning football team when he was healthy. Now you can tell me the fact that he's not healthy again is the ultimate problem. I would agree with you. Wide receiver is DeAndre Hopkins. You know how well the Arizona Cardinals are doing. Tight end is Kittle. Kittle's been hurt. The 49ers haven't been winning football games. You know, they're under 500. They're hanging around. And if Kittle can get back and get on that field, I think there's a chance they can push. But Kittle and Trent Williams, respectively, tight ends and offensive linemen, that's your highest paid. That's a sub-500 team right now. Aaron Donald and the Rams, you know what's happening there. That goes for Jalen Ramsey at the cornerback position as well. No issues there with paying your defense. Edge rushers, Bosa, Joey Bosa. Chargers are floundering a little bit here. We'll see. Darius Leonard is the high inside linebacker. 
Colts are certainly floundering. Jamal Adams is your high safety in Seattle here. They're, uh, well, I don't know, been dealt a bad blow. They're maybe a little bit old school. I'm not sure on that one. I hate the Jamal Adams contract. I hated the trade. The fact that he's going to be atop this list for a while here is going to be frustrating to Seattle, in my opinion. Special teams. It's Tucker in Baltimore. You know how well they're doing. And it's Johnny Hecker in LA. You know how well the Rams are doing. Special teams matters. <laughs> it matters. Like I said, it's a stabilizing thing. And uh, when you got one, do not be afraid to pay one four or five million a year and restructure the contracts a couple of years to, to make sure the cap hits stay you know, nice and fluid and float. It's, it's not dumb. Okay. You shouldn't be streaming good special teams players like you stream RB3s. That's just not how it works. Find one, draft one if you, if you want, if you want it, you know, in the fifth round. It's worth your time. It really is. It's, you're not wasting allocations and assets by doing that. When you have stability at that thing, when, when you're not even thinking about that, a lot of other things happen on your roster. All right. Off season spending. Your top three were the Bills, the 49ers, the, the Patriots. So that's going okay. But, you know, the rest of it's not. Seattle, Jacksonville, the Giants, Carolina, Indies. It's not. It's sub 500. It's, it's 480, so it's not terrible. But it's a sub 500 situation if you're a top 10 spender. If we just focus on free agency, that number drops from 480 to 350 winning percentage. And you can say, well, duh. Generally, teams who are spending in free agency are doing it because they're bad. And free agency doesn't fix that in one year. You're right. That's exactly the takeaway. <laughs> okay. So if you're a bad team and you're spending tens of millions in free agency, and that's all you're doing, you know, maybe you're drafting a couple of players. Yes. But you're not thinking more creatively than that. You're not going anywhere. This is not how it works. I'll say it again. It's got to be a balanced approach. You got to do everything. Find somebody in the trade, move somebody off your roster. Sometimes just a subtraction can be an addition as Dallas is finding out. I think there's an old school mentality with this still, whereas, all right, we have the cap space. We have to spend it. No, not this way. There's a lot of other ways to spend cap space. One, one of which is, is extending players with front loaded contracts, which takes away dead cap to, to circle back to that first conversation. Okay. Take it all on early. Jimmy Garoppolo would be a really big problem right now if they hadn't front-loaded that contract. He'd be a problem because they would be less reluctant to be fluid with him or keep him throughout his entire contract. I think he's going to be on this roster next year in the final year of his contract. I really do because they have the, the benefit of having a contract that is 100% in their favor. So if you're a bad team, but you've got three or four players you really like, do work there. Build your core. Get yourself into an advantageous situation with their contracts. I don't think that's being talked about enough from some of these teams who are just looking to fill pieces. Let's just plug and play. Let's try to get three wide receivers in free agency and maybe one of them will be great. No, I, that's just that's, that's not the thing anymore. It's not. If you think about the best receivers, how did they get there? How did Hopkins get there? How did Diggs get there? It's just, you know, it's not how it works. That's not how it works. We'll see. Bottom spenders, they're doing fine, as you might imagine. Teams that love each love themselves, you know, took some extensions on this offseason, didn't do much for free agency, didn't acquire many people via trades. They, uh, 
they kind of stood pat. And obviously their draft spending wasn't high because they were drafting later in the draft. Last one. I'm going to flip. I'm going to switch gears here quickly. I mentioned I was going to detail one position. It is the quarterback position, as you might imagine, but it's not the starters. All right. I had some fun on Twitter a couple of weeks ago with the Mike White situation, and it wasn't about Mike White. My tweet was, I can't believe the Jets didn't bring in a veteran quarterback. Just as another another ear, you know, voice in Zach Wilson's ear all offseason. And maybe that's old school thinking by my part, because I sat here and I started to look at actually what was unfolding. And that's not how anybody's doing this anymore <laughs> at all. All right. If I tell you the backup quarterbacks for some of these current QB1s, young QB1s, I think the point gets made before I even get down the list. Now, Kyler Murray's backup is Colt McCoy. That's actually a pretty decent veteran quarterback with some experience. All right. Lamar's backup is Tyler Huntley. Tyler Huntley. Joe Burrow's backup is Brandon Allen. Dak Prescott's backup, as you now very much know, is Cooper Rush. Jared Goff's backup is David Blau. Aaron Rodgers, Jordan Love. Carson Wentz's backup quarterback is Sam Ellinger. Trevor Lawrence, CJ Beathard, a late acquisition from San Francisco. Mahomes, Henny, that one's up there. Herbert, Chase Daniels third on this list, and he certainly has some experience. But in terms of the Chargers depth chart, Easton Stick is the QB two. Tua, we know it's Jacoby Brissett. Mac Jones, the Brian Hoyer, that's a little bit more traditional to me. Daniel Jones, Mike Lennon, a little bit more traditional. That's that kind of veteran savviness, at least to have in the room. Even, even the Eagles did it right. So the Eagles had Flacco. They overpaid him, but they had him behind Jalen Hurts. Then they went and acquired Minshew and traded Flacco. So it is, a, it is important to Howie Roseman that there's some sort of experienced veteran sitting there with Jalen Hurts. I still believe in that. I don't know. Geno Smith, Jacob Eason, they acquired him from Indy. That's how dire the backup situation in Seattle was before Russ went down. Taylor Heineke, Kyle Allen. Here's my point, and it's pretty obvious. There are 13 teams out of 32 who are spending more than $2 million on all of their backups. So some teams are carrying four, four quarterbacks right now. $2 million. The highest right now is Cleveland with Keenum. That's the high in terms of cap. Excuse me, Chicago, obviously, with Foles and with Dalton. Foles and Dalton at 8.4. That's the high on backup quarterback cap spending. 13 teams, more than 2 million, which means <laughs> 19 are less than two. And in fact, 19 are less than 1.8. So nobody's doing this. Nobody. And you can say, yeah, well, there's veteran minimum contracts. Those are just experienced players making less than a million. In, only in like two cases. For the most part, these are young kids on second year undrafted contracts. 780,000, 850,000. That's what all these teams are doing. 
That's what they're all doing. So it's something. It's something to be said here. Um, is it, is it going to work? I don't know. But clearly the, the approach that I was taking, which had nothing to do with football, whereas we need to bring in a guy who can kind of work with this, work with our young quarterback during reps, during practices, during the offseason, in the quarterback room. That's clearly gone. And in fact, it's so gone, I think it's completely the other way around. Whereas Trevor Lawrence is here, we can't even have Minshew here because he's got too much experience and too much popularity within the organization. So we don't want anything standing in the way of Trevor Lawrence becoming the guy with our players, with our coaches, with our fans, everywhere. With our, you know, our advertising campaigns, we got to get this guy up because he's too polarizing for our new young buck. I, I think that's exactly where we are. And that's, to me, why there's so much angst for Trey Lance. Because Jimmy's this good-looking, polarizing guy who's, you know, slightly above average on the quarterback position. But that doesn't sit well right now. It, it creates a division on Twitter in fans in fandom across the world here that teams don't want to have to deal with. And I do understand that. And, and I do understand that that is where we're going. You need to eliminate as much division as possible within your organization. And unfortunately, it's not something that's probably happening within the organization. It's outside influences coming in and creating that chaos. I, I really think this is a thing. And we're going to see less and less of the kind of apprenticeship situation happening because fans aren't going to allow for it and they shouldn't have that kind of control, but let's be smart about this. All right. It's, it's a mob mentality and those kind of narratives unfortunately take over on an annual basis. We're seeing it more and more to the point of now where financially speaking, nobody's even bothering. I mean, they're just not even bothering. Okay. If you've got a guy, everybody else can just go away. And if, when that guy goes down, will react, will react. I don't think I believe in it, but I also think there's one more point to make here. And it's the Dak situation from last year. When Dak goes down, Dallas' season is over. Now they were able to hang on because the division was absolute garbage. And, and there was at least, you know, a level of, could they sneak in? But I think that's how most of these teams operate right now. Because Teams are getting so, or giving so many reps off season, in season to that QB1. There's just no chance over a, a long stretch for any other quarterback to come in and, and get with this offense and win enough ball games to actually get to where we need to get to to win the Super Bowl. I, I actually think that's a thing. And I'd love to, to spread a poll around to these teams, these organizations, and say, hey, is that where the, the mindset is now? that we're all in, some financially, some obviously just from a roster standpoint, we are so all in on this one specific person, right? Dak, Brady, Lamar, that if it goes off, if he's injured, we, we just have to change everything. We, we, we become a running team. We become a dink, dink and dunk team. It doesn't matter what quarterback goes in because it's just a game manager and we can find one of those anywhere anywhere. I, I actually think that's where we're going here. And also, and it's not so much the money, but it's the style of play that these quarterbacks have. You can't recreate Josh Allen. You can't recreate Lamar Jackson. Can't do it. So don't even try. 
It's why Chad Henney backs up Patrick Mahomes and has for years. Okay. Those are two very, very different quarterbacks, but they know that because one, if, if, and when Mahomes hits the IR, everything has to change because we're not going to find Mahomes. We're not going to ask Chad Henney to be Mahomes. We're not going to ask anybody to be, to be Mahomes. So the philosophy is we're all in on that until we can't. And then once we can't, we, we kind of roll back into this new version of what we are. And that's just who we're going to be. And we have no expectations anymore. And I, I, I don't know if I'd like to believe that. I'd like to think that there's enough decent quarterback play out there that, and oh, by the way, I'd also like to believe that the quarterback position isn't that powerful. Like, it, is it that powerful? Is what the Eagles did with Nick Foles in that Super Bowl run so rare that nobody will even attempt it? And, and to bring on a, a backup quarterback that has that much value because it's so damning. We just talked about how the cap is so fake, you know? And yes, cash is cash, but nobody, I, I mean, 90% of the league thinks this less about the backup quarterback's ability to win football games in this league. I think the Mike White story is incredible. I'm happy for Trevor Simeon. I'm happy for a lot of these guys. Cooper Rush played okay. I mean, no, but <laughs> I mean, I guess that's my point, right? I'll finish with Dallas and get out of here. I just praise Jerry and, and his ability to continue to build the team the right way all these years later. Why can't a guy like Cooper Rush come in and with the right offensive mind, which I think they have in Kellen Moore, recreate a winning game plan? Because I don't think that's how teams think. And it's frustrating. But I think we're going to see a lot of that in the next six to 10 weeks. I do. I think we're going to see a lot of this. Are they going to bench Sam Darnold? Is Carson Wentz going to... Carson Wentz has a first-round pick tied to his playing time. Is he really going to play all 17 weeks? I, I don't know that he is. I, I don't know that they care about guaranteed money. I think there's a great chance that Sam Ellinger is a starting quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts at some point. I believe that. I think Jared Goff is on a leash. There's no legitimate quarterback behind him. Case Keenum and Mitchell Trubisky and Andy Dalton are the best backup quarterbacks in football right now. All right? And I'm not including Mike White because, A, he's the starter for a few weeks, and, B, that was one week. He was unbelievable. And I give the kid a hell of a lot of credit. But I don't think there's any confidence from a lot of people that those kind of kids can come in with the limited reps and do this on a weekly basis. Teams are smarter than that. They figure it out. But from a team building standpoint, which is how I always love to frame these conversations, that aspect is just a dying art. It's gone. I mean, we have a view. If you go to our positional spending on spot track and you click on the quarterback and you scroll down below the actual spending data, we have a depth chart view that shows one, two, three, four uh, for every team. And you can see, you know, the projected starting quarterback, the projected backup, the third quarterback, and in some instances, the fourth and, and, and their pay. And you'll be able to see the data that I've just kind of spit out here. To me, it is the, one of the most telling situations we have in football. If you went back five years on that tool and looked at how many teams had two, three, four million allocated to their backup quarterback and the names of those backup quarterbacks, it's a completely different story. So, 
you know, while I loved the, I loved what we just saw from all these backups, Simeon Rush, you know, Geno Smith, even to some degree, Mike White, of course. I don't think anybody believes anywhere that that's sustainable. None of these kids, in my opinion, are being set up to actually win a starting job in the NFL at all. And I don't think that's what the quarterback, the backup quarterback should be. I think the backup quarterback should be there not only to, to handle these kind of reps and snaps when necessary, but to make the QB one a better, a better quarterback. And I don't know that that's happening anymore. I, obviously these staffs are well, you know, th- there's a plenty of coaches on the sidelines. Let's put it that way. So I guess in terms of spending cap dollars on somebody like that, it's reckless, but it's a dying art. And that's the point. And it was a great QB two weekend for sure. We'll see what happens uh, to finish off the rest of the season here with some of these injuries, but kind of a numbers game here with the football. I like to do this in, in mid season. If there's anything I'm missing, I always love uh, feedback on this stuff. If, if you think that there's a number out there that I should be looking at closely from a financial sp- perspective with some of these teams and how they're built and things like that, let's hear it. At Track on Twitter. I love to do it. All right. Check out The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash Track. Mike Sandals piece. Awesome. Theathletic.com slash Track Get you 40% off. Download the app. Sandals piece is going to be right on your front page, which is an option on the app. You can basically see the headlines right away or dive into your feed for your favorite teams and leagues. Balance bridge funding for anyone looking to get a guaranteed balance bridge on their future earnings. Balancebridge.com today. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Chinetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast.